Hello, you cat and dog people. This is It's Training Cats and Dogs, the show for people with both cats and dogs who want peace in their home and peace between their animals. I'm Naomi Rotenberg, your source of practical strategies for keeping everyone in your multi-species household safe and sane. And today's episode is a chat with another pet professional about how they've used their expertise to navigate the relationships between their clients' cats and dogs, as well as their own pets. Our guest today is Dr. Hagar Hauser, and I am so excited to have her on the show, partially because we went to middle school together, but also because she's really awesome. (laughs) And Dr. Hauser is a veterinary behaviorist, and she earned her bachelor's of science degree in animal sciences from the University of Maryland College Park. Yay, UMD. And she graduated cum laude from the University of Florida School of Veterinary Medicine. After graduating, she completed an internship followed by a residency in veterinary behavioral medicine at Penn Vet. She became a di- diplomat? Diplomate? Diplomate? Is that a thing? What is that? Uh, basically boarded. Okay, cool. She became a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists in 2021. And she is passionate about working with shelters and rescues to address behavior concerns of the animals in their care and has performed research on the benefits of enrichment within the shelter setting. In her spare time, she volunteers at her local open admission shelter, working hands-on with the dogs and giving behavior-related seminars to staff and volunteers. She has also fostered kittens since she was in vet school after adopting her own dog, Ronnie. And we are going to talk about some of those experiences as well as some of the cases maybe that we have seen or are thinking about in your veterinary behavior practice. Sure. All right. So, hi, Hagar. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. And I think this is just such a cool topic to have a podcast on because it's a very overlooked problem that is really common. And I remember one time you reached out and you were like, oh, do you see a lot of cases of cat-dog aggression? And I was like, well, it exists in many homes, but everyone kind of says, oh, you know, we just separate and that's it. And that's just how it's dealt with. So it's great to see that you're bringing, shedding light and seeing that there's more that can be done than just separation. (laughs) Yeah. I like to think that the podcast helps people who already know they have a problem, but also potentially illuminates that some things are not as fine as they Mm -hmm. think they are in their multi-species households. So I'm excited to talk about some of the cases that you see and also kind of how you bring the kittens in and how Ronnie (laughs) is with them. But before we dive into those stories, um, I like to do a quick icebreaker of two truths and a lie on all of my episodes so that we can get to know you as a human a little bit better. And longtime listeners to the show know that I am not very good at this game, but it's fun anyway. And so we do it. So hit me with your two truths and a lie about you and I'll do my absolute best to guess which one is false. Okay. All right. Sounds good. So my first statement is that I have dual citizenship. My second is that I love cilantro. And then my last is that I have experience training gray seals. Okay. I think I know that you do have a dual citizenship because of our personal history together. (laughs) But I could be wrong. It's, It's been a while. You did do your graduate work in Florida. They have seals there. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and something like 50% of the population thinks cilantro tastes like soap. So I'm going to know if the cilantro is wrong. Correct. I hate cilantro. <laughs> that was good. Yay. Um, yeah. I always oh. joke, like, if you put a bunch of herbs together, but if you have a little bit of cilantro in there, I could still taste it. It just sticks out yeah. no matter what. Yeah. Well, you know, it's your genes, man. Yeah. So you can't have Chipotle or anything. I mean, <laughs> I'll suck it up sometimes for a really good <laughs> meal, but yeah, it kind of ruins it for me a little bit. Oh, well, that's okay. I don't like chocolate, so we're eating. Oh, that's that's surprising. Fun fact about me, guys. Now <laughs> I can't use an army to juice and lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yay. So boo cilantro, yay seals. It's always fun to train different species other than our dogs. Yeah. And you're a dual citizen with the U.S. and Israel, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's always been like my one fun fact about myself that isn't related to animals. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I'm so excited because it's nice to know who you are outside of your discussions about our pets. So you have a, well, currently you have some foster kittens, Right? Well, as of yesterday, they were neutered and they are now for adoption. Ah. So, yeah, that was the way that the process works there is because they're kittens, they're going to get adopted within a day. Um, So they get neutered and then they stay at the shelter to get adopted. But two of them came home and are now official parts of our family. (laughs) Ah, okay. Well, Great. Let's talk a little bit (laughs) about how you've worked through that. So they were in your house from tiny, tiny, tiny kittens, right? Yeah. So we got them around mid-February. We were told they were five weeks, but we brought them home and we quickly saw they cannot eat on their own. They cannot eliminate on their own. So we're now guessing they were younger than what was assumed. Mm -hmm. They had the teeth to indicate that they were around five weeks, but their behavior didn't match it and development didn't match it. Mm -hmm. So we're guessing maybe around four weeks or they were really suddenly taken away from their mother. And so she was still kind of helping them out and then they were dependent on us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, there was five of them that all got dropped off in a box and then we picked them up from the shelter the same day. Okay. And so when you bring a new litter of babies home, How do you set everything up? Because Ronnie is not a small dog. Right. Ronnie is a, assuming 10 or 11 year old male neutered pit bull mix. Um, He's about 65 pounds. So, you know, a a stray paw could hurt a a tiny kitten. So tell me a little bit about how you set up your house and have kind of like worked on them integrating together. Yeah, so I fostered kittens with Ronnie when back when I was in vet school in Florida. I did not know as much as I do now, so definitely my setup has improved since then. And we did foster two kittens in this same house before these five showed up, so we already kind of had a setup going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the two that we had previously were here for socialization because they were very fearful of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so they needed a ton of decompression time. And honestly, they never met Ronnie, except across a baby gate from a distance because they were mm-hmm. too scared. Mm-hmm. So our hope, we honestly wanted to adopt kittens ourselves. So our hope was get young ones that are not too fearful yet, 
and we can integrate them. Um, so we set up an exercise pen that gave them access to part of our finished attic and then a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there they had a cat tree from our previous foster kittens, multiple bowls of food, multiple bowls of water, cat toys, litter boxes, everything they could need. Mm-hmm. And luckily we have a door that closes that floor. Mm-hmm. So Ronnie didn't, they didn't even see Ronnie for the first week or so. Usually the first week is just decompression where I just sit and exist and let them come up to me. But because they were so young, they were immediately on top of me and my husband, Dan, and following us around. And we had to do a lot of hands-on care. So they bonded to us quickly, Mm -hmm. but Ronnie had to stay separated initially. Okay. And how does he react when he knows that there's squeaky kittens? (laughs) So it's a balance where he smells their food and their litter boxes and gets very, very excited and wants to go and eat things. And when he sees the kittens, he's really curious. He's sniffing them. He wags his tail, but it's a little stiff. But actually, when he gets in contact with kittens initially, he's usually a little fearful Mm -hmm. um, because they run up to him and they're stepping on his feet and trying to smell him. And he'll kind of just be very avoidant and move away until he feels comfortable enough to to greet them. One of our main concerns is definitely that he's going to step on them because he's an old pit bull and he has no idea where his limbs go and he doesn't know how big he is and his tail Mm -hmm. kind of smack things with his tail. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we supervise very, very closely, um, at least initially just to make sure that they don't go underfoot and that he doesn't feel overwhelmed. Sometimes he'll start panting, uh, his ears will go back, and then we say, okay, it's time for a break, and we'll lead him out of the room, give him time to decompress and decide whether he needs to come back in or not. Okay. And so are you just kind of letting the kittens do kitten things, and you're focused mostly on him and him staying calm and settling and stuff like that? Or are you taking a different approach? Yeah. So because they're young kittens, I'm not concerned that they're going to be aggressive towards him. They seem very curious. If anything, they're a little fearful of him just because he's huge. So (laughs) if he goes up and sniffs them, they usually run. And Mm -hmm. thankfully, he does not chase them. Um, That was always a concern of mine. Um, So usually it's me sitting with Ronnie and talking to him. And we usually try to have two people in the beginning. So Mm -hmm. one is focused on Ronnie and one can interact with the kitten so that everybody's getting the attention that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've gotten, after a few weeks, I got to a point where I felt comfortable enough monitoring everyone at the same time. And I make sure Ronnie's very responsive to me if I say his name, if I ask him for a cue. If I notice he stops responding to me, he also gets a break because I know mm-hmm. he's starting to get a little too over, over threshold or over aroused. Mm-hmm. But over time, the kittens got more comfortable. They stopped running and hiding. Um, and some were comfortable enough to start bunting him. And they love playing with his tail. <laughs> and he's he's getting better. We have a mattress in the room. And we'll ask him to settle on the mattress and reward him for settling there while they run around being a little cuckoo. I used to bring treats upstairs, treats for him, Mm -hmm. but I stopped because they got him too excited. Mm -hmm. So now a lot of the reward is praise and petting for calm behavior. And he does a lot better with that. Yeah. So have for, okay. So I didn't even ask, what are the names of the two kittens who are staying with you? Sure. Um, So one is Bean and the other one is Bamba. Oh, 
looks like baba for people who know is a little israeli peanut snack that looks kind of like a like a cheeto but like peanut butter colored not yeah the bamba looks like a little bamba (laughs) bamba and bean okay i'm obsessed and so have they met him outside of their the attic room yeah so once we decided which two we wanted to keep we started about two weeks ago in the evening for an hour bringing our two down into our bedroom Mm -hmm. so we'll close the door it's just our bedroom and they can access our bathroom and Ronnie will be in there and it was really interesting the first night Ronnie was panting and his ears were back and he was seeking us out and then each night we brought them back we saw less and less signs of stress to the Mm -hmm. point where now we do it Ronnie's in the bed sleeping passed out and the kittens are running around being kittens so it's mm-hmm. very cool to see that he habituated over multiple yeah. years. But that's the only other place I've met him so far. Because the other half of it is just, I don't want to overwhelm them with exposure to our house all at one time. Right. So how did you kind of assess what level of stress was okay for Ronnie to basically say, okay, we're just going to habituate him to this rather than actively trying to do any kind of desensitization, counter conditioning protocols or anything like that. It's It can definitely be a, a fine line in terms of that decision. Absolutely. So luckily we had some baseline data seeing him across the exercise pen on the in the finished attic. And mm-hmm. we saw after a few visits, they would be even eating, which is really stimulating for him. Very, very food motivated dog. <laughs> he could lay down outside of the exercise pen, watch them, even look away. So I said, okay, you're ready to meet in person. Then they met upstairs, same thing. And it's a big enough space that he can move away and they can move away from him. Mm-hmm. And then in our bedroom, we used a similar technique as the mattress that's in the finished attic. We used our bed. So we would call him up on the bed, ask him to settle and calmly reward him for settling in the bed while the kittens were either in it or running around. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I gauge that I mentioned briefly is whether he's responsive to me. So mm-hmm. if I just say his name, and I always use, of course, a positive tone, like a boy, and he can engage, then I know we're doing well. Mm-hmm. If he's staring, I cannot get his attention. He starts, the panting escalates, then I say, okay, he needs a break right now. But the bedroom was a big enough space where he didn't feel trapped by them. And that Mm -hmm. helped a lot. We make sure that we don't ever introduce in small spaces. Okay. And he wasn't on leash or anything. So he didn't feel trapped. He was on leash. No, no, he was not on leash. I do use that technique sometimes, especially if I'm introducing. I used to foster uh, puppies with him too. Mm -hmm. But no, I didn't feel the need to use a leash because he was so responsive to me at that point. So if you didn't know what his kind of baseline response was to these cues, you'd trained him for a long time. (laughs) So you know, like what, when he's not, when he's not stressed out, he's really snappy. And when he is, these are the kind of the red, you know, the the signals that we don't want to see um, that indicates that he's not really able to focus on you. So what are the behaviors that you either suggest to your clients or that you know that he would need to have a good foundation of before you were using them in this kind of situation? Yeah. So Ronnie has a really good settle cue, which means he'll lie down with his hip popped out and not hyper alert to what's going on around to him, around him, but just being able to lay down and calmly watch. He has a good look cue, or some people use watch me here, which he just has to look up at my face. Because I know if he's looking at my face, 
He's not looking at the kittens <laughs> and, or any other trigger. And touch uh-huh. is my other really favorite one, which just asks him to touch his nose to the palm of my hand so I can move him away from the kittens without physically grabbing him. Mm-hmm. I should say, Ronnie also has a history of fear, aggression, really bad leash reactivity, high anxiety. So Shocking. <laughs> so that, that's how I became a veterinary behaviorist is he was my foster dog back in vet school and quickly realized he was barking, growling, lunging at every person and every dog. So I'd have a really solid foundation of training with him because he was dealing with a lot of issues himself. Mm -hmm. So that has helped a lot. And it created such a good line of communication between me and him that now I can tell when he's starting to go over threshold if he needs a break, he's very good at telling me. Mm-hmm. We even did a little bit of lat or look at that training at one point so he could point out something that made him nervous and then let me know. And I think mm-hmm. that helped a lot of our communication too. And then, as I mentioned, I fostered, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 kittens back in vet school. So I also had a little bit of background from that with him. Yeah, I think that's a really big thing. And that's one of the things that I start out with my clients all the time is like, what are our animals baseline behaviors outside Mm -hmm. of being around this other animal? Right. Because if you don't know that, then it's hard to know what behaviors you want to be looking for to indicate that something needs to change. Um, that they're, that they're uncomfortable or that, you know, they're unable to respond to cues. Things are potentially going to go in a not so great direction. Yeah. And I should mention also that, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot, but if he sees a cat on a walk, he tries to get to it. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of barking and whining and pulling, and he is not redirectable at all. I can shove treats in his face and he won't even pay attention to them. And when I lived in the city in Philly, we had a little fenced in yard and one night a cat came in and he grabbed the cat. So I, I knew he has this history of outside. He will try to grab a cat and put it in his mouth if he catches one. So I've always been very, very cautious. I've only fostered kittens because I wasn't sure if he was triggered by the size versus mm-hmm. with kittens, they're a lot less threatening and they look a little different. But also we hear, I'm sure you hear this commonly that dogs can react very differently to cats outside than they do to cats living in their own home. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the back of my head, I know he has some of that prey drive outside. It's also something that I was, I've been very cognizant of saying, okay, I need to make sure you always can listen to me and focus on me and you're not falling over into, hey, is that a prey animal? Look at that. They run. I always watch him very closely to see if it's triggering anything. Mm-hmm. And it's always made me think, I don't know if I'll ever leave him home alone unsupervised with them, if I'll always keep them separated. Because what if something just kind of triggers in his mind of, wait, what is that? It's prey. And he just chases. Yeah. Now he's 10 or 11, can't move very fast. So less of a threat compared to when he was a younger active dog. Yeah, um, that's that's a really important thing to bring up. Mm-hmm. So when he did get a hold of this backyard cat... What happened? Did he hurt the cat? <laughs> so I came out run. So what happened is I heard some rustling in the backyard, and I came out. And as I'm walking out of my uh, apartment, I see a cat running towards me. He was chasing the cat into the apartment, but the cat mm-hmm. saw me, screamed, and ran away again. Mm-hmm. He caught it, and I was yelling like, "Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie! What are you doing? What are you doing?" And mm-hmm. finally, the cat one it basically scratched him and got high enough that he couldn't reach it Mm -hmm. so i don't know what would have happened if the cat couldn't have climbed out of the fence but Mm -hmm. he had no intent on 
just forgetting about that cat. Yeah. And then when I lived in vet school on our street, we had someone who fed uh, community cats. Mm-hmm. And twice I was, it's owner error. He got loose and chased these cats for like 20 minutes too. So I know it's a pattern for him that he wanted. <laughs> this is not a one-off. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I actually ask, like, I have an in-depth intake form where I use it to create a management plan and all of that stuff. And one of the questions is, has your animals, have they ever hurt or bitten or whatever inside the home? And then a second one is outside the home. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> because those are definitely different for a lot of animals. Like, you know, they learn that they can learn that this cat that lives with me is like, you know, is a very different being than those rando cats that uh, that I see on the street. Same Absolutely. thing with like, squirrels. High prey drive outside the house is not inherently like do not go, do not collect two hundred dollars, whatever <laughs> those, that thing is. Like you can't have a cat right. in your house, but definitely important to factor that in, especially if they have hurt other animals outside. It's not something we ignore. We right. definitely manage, like you were saying, but it doesn't mean like, and therefore you can never bring another cat into the house. Or something yeah, like exactly. And interestingly, like he couldn't care less about a squirrel or a bird or things like, he has very specific things that he chases after. And I think it has a lot to do with his early life. He was chained outside in the backyard for the first like year of his life. So he probably mm-hmm. was very, animals would be close to him no problem maybe there was no cats there so when he finally saw a cat it's something completely novel to him oh i should mention he's also caught a groundhog before too and the groundhog did not win so definitely some indications outside that he will chase after things but he's never shown anything like that with any of my foster kittens if anything he's a little fearful like he Mm -hmm. moves away if he sees them getting too rowdy or they get in his face or anything like that. Yeah. And I've seen a few times, this actually happened with one of the, the foster kids that um, we just had, where if he's lying down and he's trying to relax and they're climbing all over him and then they get in his face, he'll start to lift a lip mm-hmm. very, very subtly. And I was like, that is just such an appropriate, nice, calm correction where he's thinking through saying, hey, hey, you're, you're getting too close. I need you to get out of my face. Of course, I have to move the kitten because a kitten doesn't understand what that means, but I have to get involved. He never escalates past that. So it just shows it's so different than prey drive, which is you don't give warning signs like that. It's sifting, staring, stalking, going after. So you can tell the difference between it. Yeah, definitely. I I don't want to gloss over what you just said about how you see you see that you move a kitten immediately. Yeah. You don't wait for the cat to like, you know, realize that he's giving this subtle warning. Right. And I'm sure that's something really interesting that you see with your cases too, is like they communicate differently. I find often that hissing and swatting dogs can understand is some sort of distance request, though some dogs also perceive it as play, especially they Mm -hmm. get like smacked in the face and the dog will go, me too. And they smack the cat in the face. (laughs) But yeah, things like lifting lips, cats don't lift their lips to signal that they want distance so sometimes it's a lot of the human has to note that and say okay and it's very important that I don't grab him and say oh my god get out of here it's okay Ronnie come on let's go let's go I can't call the kittens away they don't they're not responding to me yet so it's Ronnie let's get you out of this situation he's like oh mom says it's okay I'm gonna get out of here now or I pick up the kitten and I move the kitten to show him oh don't worry about it I got it I'm here I can manage this 
Yeah. My hope is that the kittens learn what his boundaries are. Like he'll get up and walk away. If they do, they like to play with his feet and he hates having his feet touch. So he's constantly moving them and moving them. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of things of hoping that the kittens pick up on it. Are you going to work with the kittens on some basic behaviors of like recall away and stuff like that? Absolutely. I'm very excited because... I don't know if I said this. I've never owned cats. I've only fostered, but I've always wanted to train them. So right now they're still, they're not very responsive to us. They're still a little bit figuring out their environment. But the hope is like in the bedroom where they're starting to become more familiar, I'm going to start integrating or introducing treats and a clicker and just see if I can start like loading the clicker and have them be responsive to it. But yes, my goal is definitely to be able to do recall with them. And then honestly, some maybe a place cue and some mm-hmm. fun trip. Yeah, because I think one of the things that kind of blows people's minds is that like you, there are species differences in that communication. Like I requ- I'm asking for space, right? The kittens don't come out of the box knowing that a lip raised lip means something. But if you teach them that every time the dog raises his lips you call them that's a cue transfer that Mm -hmm. teaches like oh look i'm basically like redefining that behavior for you right so that that means move away Mm -hmm. so then you're cueing them to move away would eventually not be as necessary anymore but you need to teach them to move away first (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's the essential, like, they need to know, they need to be responsive to your cue first before you can kind of, like, attach it to the dog's cue. And vice versa, right? I mean, like, a dog who thinks that getting bopped on the face is fun needs to be taught that getting bopped on the face means move away. (laughs) So you got to teach a dog to move away when you ask them first. Yeah, that's one of the things I deal, mostly what I see is, like, dogs that want to play with cats and cats have no interest in them. The goal is to say, when you see the cat, your response is go find mom, dad, whoever. Mm-hmm. So don't go play. It's, oh, go find somebody to mm-hmm. basically do like a teach an incompatible behaviors. I can't run up and play with the cat. I have to go find somebody instead. Mm-hmm. But being consistent with that is very difficult because a lot of times the dog and the cat might encounter while people are watching TV or they're reading a book and they're not paying attention Mm-hmm. So initially you have to be watching and constantly reinforce, you see cat, find me, you see cat, find me. And if you can't do that, then they should be separated until you're able to work through that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's hard for some people to implement on a daily basis. Yeah. So that's a really good segue into some of the <laughs> some of the things that you see come into the clinics. So you mentioned before that like most people come in and their dogs have like some something going on that's unrelated or not clearly like they're not coming in for dog cat stuff. Right. right. And then you ha- also have an in-depth intake form. <laughs> yes. and, oh, there's, there's other animals in the house. Great. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to just pretend that I know. Let me just try here. And then they say, oh, yeah, we have a cat. He hates the cat. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> or like All chases the cat on site. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, oh, what have you done about that? Nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
separate them. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so if that's kind of your, 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 they come in for something else that's clearly like a problem that is more of a priority for them. Do, how do you work into your treatment plan that the interactions and quality of life of the other animal that's in their house is also important and like kind of <laughs> let them know that like right. they have this other issue that they might not have known is actually an issue. Yeah. So of course the answer is always, it depends, right? <laughs> so I consider myself as a veterinary behaviorist. I'm the person that sees like the worst cases of anxiety and aggression, sometimes on the last resort. Mm-hmm. And so if they don't find the dog cat interaction a priority, there's mm-hmm. usually something else going on. Like if they're aggressive towards the owners, right. that has to be the priority. Of course. Yeah. Um, now we'll cover if they say, Oh, the dog and cat don't get along. Well, are you separating them? And if the answer is yes, then, okay, we don't have to prioritize this today. But if you ever want to work on reintegrating them, we can do that in the future. Mm-hmm. If the answer is, oh, no, sometimes my dog chases the cat in and out of the room, then we have to say, okay, I know this isn't a priority, but we need to come up with just a management plan right now to make sure that this isn't happening. One, for the cat's mental health, but also mm-hmm. for trigger stacking. So right. if the dog is chasing after the cat and then a guest comes over and interacts with the dog, that dog's already more highly aroused and that interaction's not going to go as well. We have this issue also with uh, predatory behavior out in the yard. Mm-hmm. The animal, the dog is chasing birds and squirrels outside. They come in and they're so stimulated mm-hmm. that they very easily react to something they wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it plays a role in what's going on. But if the dog is coming to me not for aggression towards the cat or chasing the cat, usually it's something we have to kind of put on the side and say, you separate, we manage, we can always come back to this mm-hmm. if it's not the priority at the time. But your safety is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I would say the most common thing I encounter is that the cats get a level to themselves. So usually if the cats are upstairs and the dogs are downstairs, etc at night like they'll bring the dogs into the bedroom Um, or the cats have the basement with a cat door and Mm -hmm. a lot of their stuff is down there while the dogs have free run of the house so that's mostly what I see is eh, it's kind of on the side but it's so funny after you asked me if I see a lot of dog cat aggression I then saw so many cases that they came to me specifically for dog cat aggression so it, it happens, but I wouldn't say it's the most common type of aggression that I see. Yeah, understandable. Also, in my experience, as you know, before I started specializing in dog cat stuff, it was very rare that I would be called for dog cat stuff. Mm. So you might be saying, well, Naomi, that's a stupid business idea. To <laughs> <laughs> Good job. You never got called for this and therefore you specialize in it. But... <laughs> But yeah, I think it's it's something that there are many situations where it's in the middle, right? Like there mm-hmm. isn't such a dire issue that one or both of the animals are, are experiencing that needs to be prioritized right now or else drastic measures have to be taken yeah. that you can find that there are people who are like, this is really stressful for me. Um, I love all of my animals. There's no, (laughs) and I want everyone to at least not be trying to stress each other out all the time. If there were something that you would want to tell people who do have animals that are not getting along and it's not necessarily on their radar, (laughs) that it really matters. Do you have any advice for them besides for keep them separate? Because they're, (laughs) (laughs) most of them are, I've got that part. 
down right is there stuff that they can do that doesn't add like a lot onto their plate like we have dog if we have a dog that's like struggling with reactivity outside or like really anxious in general again some of the stuff in the house needs to be worked on because it's the house is supposed to be like the stress-free zone and if it's not mm-hmm. stress-free then it's not decompressing for them and all of that stuff so right. what do you recommend for situations like that yeah i guess the next step so first we have separation and then it's making that separation a positive experience for everybody. So one of the things I'm often told is, well, I don't want to separate my dog. I don't want them to feel like they're being punished. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all about how we make them perceive the separation. So we try to make them each have their own safe haven. So they have access to their toys, their food, their water, comfortable resting spots. Sometimes they're people, depending on how we split the time. But It's not supposed to be this, you know, if the cat is confined to a room, they're shut out from the world. It's, oh my God, look, you have this window. You get to look at birds. We play calming cat music throughout the day. You have a cat tree, you have scratchers. So I think of it like the cat rather be in that room than be out and on the prowl, or not on the prowl, but on alert, Mm -hmm. waiting for that dog to come and chase them. So it's more so changing the perception of that area to being a positive one. Mm -hmm. And then also starting to think about how are we going to set them up for some of that desensitization and counter conditioning Mm -hmm. before I even start trying to do introductions, we need to make sure the dog and sometimes the cat has very strong redirection cues. Like we were talking about, like, can you call your dog away from a, from a potential trigger before you introduce the cat into Mm -hmm. the situation? So Um, You're setting some foundations, you're making them feel safe. So finally, when you're ready to introduce them, everybody's cortisol is low and they're ready to to meet. Yeah. So I have a lot of clients who say stuff like, the cat's really stressed out, so he's on Prozac. (laughs) (laughs) Very general description. Right. Right. I'm like, well, I'm not a vet, so I can't really assess that um, Mm in any way. But you are a vet. (laughs) So you know, it can get to the point where stereotypically for the cats as the prey animal, they stress out to the point that their quality of life is diminished and they are exhibiting signs of stress, chronic stress. So if that is the case, then do you think that addressing that, well, you're going to say it depends. Um, (laughs) The... Okay, this is a hard question to think about, but would it be something where like the cat going on medication, but then not being able to prioritize actually doing any kind of behavior modification work because you're doing behavior modification with the dog for something else? Like, Mm. is the medication for the cat supposed to potentially just help just by itself or does it need to be do you have to work on with the cat on other stuff to try to help them feel less stressed out okay so with medication i always try to like warn owners give them a heads up that it is not a magic pill i really wish it was the only (laughs) thing that i find that especially prozac just kind of makes go away is urine marking It's like the only thing that's pretty incredible about it. But usually when it comes to medication, it's to facilitate Mm -hmm. management and behavior modification. You don't just give it and say, okay, my job here is done. Mm -hmm. So same with people. 
people don't just go on medication and say, okay, now still deal with all of your stress. It's okay. Now let's also find some coping mechanisms for them. So it's not the ultimate solution. It can help. So I think of medication as having three main goals. So one is to slow down reaction time. So the animal doesn't go from zero to 60 when they encounter a stressor. Mm -hmm. The second thing is to reduce the frequency and intensity of their reaction to the trigger. Mm -hmm. And the last is to help recover faster from a stressful situation. So it's all to help them deal with it as we're working through the training. Mm -hmm. So it definitely has its place in some cases. And oftentimes the dog needs it because they go over thresholds so quickly, we can't even do training with the dog. But if you're to the point where you say, I can't work on anything with the cat, I'm just going to keep them in this room and put them on medication and hope for the best, you have to start considering the quality of life of that cat that needs medication to just exist. And whether that home is the right home, or they would do better in a home without a dog, or that dog would do better without a cat. So um, sometimes... I'd say in general, it's easier to rehome a cat than a dog, but sometimes that's not the case. As I mentioned, I tend to see some of the most severe cases. So it's rare that the cat is very, very friendly and just has this one issue. It's usually they're also aggressive to people and other cats and they have all these limitations. Right, right. The comorbidity aspect of everything. Yeah. I see tons and tons of it. And I think the way that they express their stress also plays a role. So Mm -hmm. if a cat is urine marking or they're inappropriately toileting because they're stressed by the dog, owners will have a lot lower tolerance for that than a cat who's maybe hiding and not eating as well or not being as playful because cats can show signs of stress very, very subtly. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that the urine marking cat is more stressed than the one that hides and eats less. They just show it differently. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And also, if you are managing dog cat issues by separating them and you're not with the cat often, Mm -hmm. then might not notice the more subtle signs of changes in behavior, changes in appetite, a reduced behavioral repertoire. Yeah. I'll often recommend trying to get a video camera for that room to Mm -hmm. see like, what's your cat doing there? Are they still enjoying themselves, playing, having fun, or do they just sit and they don't move all day? Yeah. Um, Especially if we talk about something like medication Mm -hmm. to say, well, how do we know if medication is working if we don't know what the cat does all day before medication? Right. So trying to get a baseline while you're working through the plan. Yeah, that's really important. Besides for putting a camera and medication, a lot of people say, well, my cat is like really stressed out by being away from me because they tend to get the short end of the stick, right? It's like the dog needs more more attention for whatever reason. So the dog spends the majority of the time with the humans and the cat gets like maybe sleepy time Mm -hmm. or like the dog is in a crate downstairs and the cat sleeps with the people, but like the people are unconscious. So (laughs) that's not... Not as fun. So do you have suggestions for people who are trying to work through separation distress from the cat perspective? Oh, that is one of the toughest ones. Whenever someone's like, oh, I keep my dog and cat separated. I say, great. How does your cat feel about it? When they say, oh, they're meowing the whole time. Oh, darn it. That is not something we can just ignore. Like now we have to address this cat's stress levels. Yeah. So in terms of trying to give the cat more attention, just scheduling in like a play session or two or not even play just time to go and sit in the room in that space with the cat, Mm -hmm. you know, eat your meal in there, do your work in there, call your friends while you're in there so that they have more one-on-one time. 
And if confinement is really stressful for the cat, you might have to set it up where the dog is confined for part of the day and the cat comes out and interacts with you as well. Mm -hmm. Whether you do that on different levels or the dog is crated in a closed room, then the cat can walk around the whole house. But that that's when it gets really hard is if the cat has confinement anxiety or stress is well, now we have to separately address what's going on with them. Why do they, what's wrong with being in the room that they have? Is it meeting their needs? Because if it's not, then that's what we need to address versus if they're just very attached to people. And interestingly, like when you look at diagnoses for behavior for dogs and cats, cats aren't diagnosed with things that are uh, more related to bonding to humans compared to dogs like hyper attachment, because the idea was that they don't have the same connections to people. But we know that there are cats out there that are glued to the hip to people versus dogs who could care less. So depends. But I will say more often than not, I have dogs with confinement stress compared to cats with confinement stress. When I have inner cat aggression, that's when we just that comes up a lot where we say the one who doesn't care about being confined is going to be confined more because it's too distressing for the other one. So, and you can't feel better if you don't feel better in general. (laughs) You can't feel better about your roommates if your life sucks all the time in other ways. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It goes a lot to also, I think of it inner dog aggression where everyone's like, well, who gets access to what first? Like, how do I make one dog not feel as I said, it, it matters what they prefer. Whatever is more important to that individual animal is what will prioritize. Whoever cares about being in the bed or going outside first, same thing for cats. If the cat doesn't care about being confined, but the dog does, fine. But it might be vice versa. The dog might not care being crated while the cat is stressed about being confined. Then maybe the cat gets more space. But more often than not, it's the cat that's okay being like, all right, I got this whole room to myself. Go ahead. Yeah. The dog and everyone. <laughs> when it's both, it makes my brain... Oh, that's tough. Yeah. That is really tough. I tend to recommend, I mean, COVID screws stuff up, but like, you know, the dogs can go out on adventures with Mm -hmm. others perhaps, or like someone, you can pay someone to like have them do play dates or just like, (laughs) I've actually suggested like when everyone was doing school online to like see if there was like a high schooler who just wanted to have like a dog sit with them while they were online. Yeah. You have to be, get creative when exactly. separation is separation for one distress or anxiety for one animal is hard, but when it's a safety issue and you're using with doing both, it's just it's really hard. Yeah. And for dogs, we kind of have these protocols set up to help them with confinement anxiety. Now it takes time to build it, mm-hmm. but for cats, that's not something that's often discussed is, well, you don't do, you know, the care and overall relaxation protocol. <laughs> Although you can. And sure, I I'm not saying it's not possible. But <laughs> it's not like there's a recommendation that everyone kind of knows. Exactly. It's not the standardized type of, okay, settle down. I'm going to take a step away. I'm going to come back. That kind of thing. Like yeah. we think about with dogs. Well, there's a resource, research question for you for your next step. <laughs> Prevalence yeah. of cat separation distress and ways to mitigate it. Yeah. People who are listening maybe have uh, access to such research <laughs> yeah. resources. There's a few papers on cat separation anxiety 
by um, Dr. Schwartz. She's a veterinary behaviorist. They were published almost 20 years ago now, uh, most of them. Uh, but cats can absolutely have separations. I, I've seen it, yeah. but it's probably very underdiagnosed because it's not as obvious as dog separation yeah. anxiety. Well, I'll get some of the citations for those papers and see if I can link them in the show notes for people who are interested. Awesome. Well, this has been great. I love having a vet perspective on everything. And I am thinking that the listeners are going to get a really big kick out of this episode because it's slightly different Mm -hmm. than everything. So if anyone listening wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, I could say my work email is probably the best. It's hh. A-U-S-E-R, H. Hauser, at metro-vet.com. I'll link that in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) So everything will just be a click away for all of you who want to get a little bit more information about Dr. Hauser. And I appreciate you coming on and thank you to everyone for listening. This episode has helped you feel less alone in your struggles with your cats and dogs. Please subscribe so you don't miss any more episodes. And I'd also be really appreciative if you would take a few minutes to review the podcast because your support helps other people find the show and get access to cat and dog specific content. As we were talking about, there isn't that much out there. You can also follow me on Instagram at praiseworthypets and send me a DM. I would love to hear your suggestions for which pet professional you would like me to interview next. And that is all for this episode, you wonderful cat and dog people. See you next week for more It's Training Cats and Dogs.